0: Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, on May 18th, 1980, there was an earthquake on the Pacific coast. And there was a subsequent volcanic eruption, Mount St. Helens blew up. And on that day, the north face of the mountain completely collapsed, and a flow of rock and mud went as far as 80 kilometers to the southwest. And some of you here probably remember that day, or at least the morning after, wiping ash off of your cars. It was a day when the mountain trembled. God spoke and the earth melted. And people in that volcanic explosion, they they witnessed the power of God and and his control over creation. And they witnessed that whether they acknowledge it or not. And that same power of God in, in creation is used here by the sons of, of Korah to show how God's controlling everything in this world and how he, he reigns in such a way as to work for his people, to protect his people. And so today we, we look at Psalm 46 and we'll look at it under the theme our God is a mighty fortress and we'll see that as our fortress he gives us confidence, he gives us life. And he gives us peace. So Psalm 46, it was written by the sons of Korah. You can read about their forefather Korah in Numbers chapter 16. It's a long chapter. You might find it interesting to read later tonight. But in in brief, their forefather led a, a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. They rebelled against God's appointed leaders. And as a punishment for their rebellion, God opened up the earth and Korah and his followers were swallowed up in what was basically a massive sinkhole. And sorry. So Korah was swallowed up, he died in the sinkhole, but we we're told later on in the book of Numbers that his line didn't die out. He had sons who continued to to Marry and have children after him. And his sons, they became leaders in the worship, first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And they, among other things, they wrote a number of psalms that we have today. And so here we see that while the earth moved to swallow up their father, the sons of Korah, they say that even if the earth opens up, even if the world collapses, God's people will not be moved. And so with this psalm, we, along with all of God's people, confess that God is indeed our refuge. He is our strength and he is our help in times of trouble. And that's so crucial for us to have, to have that knowledge, because we live in a, life, in a world that is filled with trouble, and we need a refuge from it. We need a shelter. Throughout, God's, throughout history, God's people have always endured times of, of trouble and trials. You can think of after the fall, Adam and Eve, they, they hid themselves because they were filled with shame. They were troubled and they were in trouble. And later on, the Hebrews, they were in the land of Egypt and they, they lived there as slaves. They were troubled and oppressed. And later Israel and Judah they were troubled in the promised land as they faced enemies all around them. And yet God, we see throughout scripture that God was always present with his people even in their trials, even in their rebellion even. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall, and he was their refuge and strength, their confidence. He gave them confidence because rather than than killing Adam and Eve for their rebellion, he clothed them and he he gave them the beautiful promise of a coming Messiah, someone who would save the world. And then he freed the the Hebrews from their oppressors in Egypt and he brought them into the promised land and, and settled them there so that they could live in peace. And even when his people were sent into exile for sins, He was present with them in their exile. And he was working through their exile to to bring them back to him. And the same God who who was a refuge for the Old Testament saints is a refuge for us today, for the new covenant people of God. He promises to to be your refuge, to be your strength in times of trouble. And notice that he is a, a very present help in trouble. He's not only uh, some some future promise of help. He's not a, a distant help. He's present. He's present right now with you today through his holy spirit dwelling in your hearts. And this gives us every reason to have confidence. Because like the old testament saints, we 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 also live troubled lives. We may not face slave drivers or or enemies at the city gates, but we face the big troubles that have always existed. We experience unexpected passing away of loved ones. We deal with with sickness and death. And we face smaller troubles like an unexpected car repair or, or disobedient children. We all have worries and concerns about the future But in all of that, God gives us every reason to have confidence. Because God provides his people with shelter from the storms of life. He promises not only to to be our refuge, he goes so far as to be, promises to be our strength. He is our strength so that we can face the troubles of life, from the little ones to, to the biggest ones that we might come across. He is our source of confidence. And the greatest demonstration of our ability to to, to place our confidence and our trust in God was made by Jesus Christ himself on the cross when God sent his one and only son to die and he did so to, to deal with the greatest trouble that we would ever have to face because through his death, he has done away with all of our sins. And if God is great and gracious enough to deal with the 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 sins that separate us from from Him, if He was great and loving enough to do that while we were still enemies of God, then we can have every we have every reason to be confident that He is big enough and He is willing and He is loving enough to help you and strengthen you in whatever trouble you might be facing today. Verses two and three. They show us that we can be confident in the Lord and we don't have to fear even in the face of of the greatest disaster. Even though the earth gives way, we will not fear. And we're shown in those verses, verses 2 and 3, a picture of the world in turmoil as the ground is opening up, the mountains are collapsing, the, the waters are roaring, the very fabric of creation is being undone. And these mountains, these mountains were landmarks in Israel and Judah. They were constant. They were symbols of eternity itself. And many of us probably view the, the local mountains in a similar way. They're, they're a sign of stability. They're always there. They're always present. And when you wake up in the morning, you, you just know that you're going to see the golden ears or, or Mount Tom in the distance. Yet here in in this psalm, where the psalmist is saying that even if those mountains were to collapse one day, even if they were to fall back into the sea, if God were to undo his creation, the psalmist says we will not fear. We will not fear but be confident because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And this is all possible because of what's said in verse 1. Why should we fear if verse 1 is true? If it seems like the, the whole world is coming de- undone around us, but, but verse 1 is true, that God is our refuge and strength, then we have no reason to be troubled or feel overwhelmed because he is our present help. And nothing can come to us that is outside of his sovereign control and purpose and direction. He has a plan through all the trials of life. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are in need of help, when you are are troubled, turn to God for your refuge. Find your confidence in him. So often... We look for confidence in other places, in created things, rather than in the one person who is actually able to take care of us. And we, the the children of God, we have this amazing privilege of being able to to flee to God, to run to our Heavenly Father with our cares and concerns. We have the privilege of, of laying our needs before Him and resting assured that He will help us in our times of need. And this is also shown to us as uh, as God gives us life in this great city, which is our second point. In verse 4, the psalmist says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And now there's this contrast these contrast between these two waters you have the the roaring waters outside the city and you have this peaceful stream this peace, peaceful river that brings gladness into the city and the city of God here is is the city of Jerusalem it's a city that is on a on a hilltop and well it's not anywhere near an actual river the only the only water source was the Gihon spring, which provided water or still provides water today, um, sporadically throughout the day. And because this spring was was outside the city wall, it was one of Jerusalem's greatest weaknesses, as the city couldn't hold out against a siege. And to fix that, one of the kings of Judah, King Hezekiah, he expanded the city walls so that it would surround this this spring. And then he dug a tunnel from the spring and and into the city. And from there, the water would flow and it would fill up different pools and and form streams throughout the city. And it was in this way that the the people of God, they were given a regular, reliable source of water. They had a river whose whose streams made the city glad. But there is a, a deeper meaning to this. Because ultimately there, there is a river of, of life flowing into this city. And different passages of scripture speak of this river. One of them is Isaiah 33. And the prophet, he was probably um, alive during the time that, that this psalm was written. He was certainly alive during the time of King Hezekiah when Hezekiah built this wall around the spring. And the prophet Isaiah, he said this concerning the river. The Lord, in majesty, will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no war galley nor mighty ship can pass. And the prophet, is saying that the Lord himself is the river. He is the one protecting and sustaining the life within the city of God. He makes the city a fortress, and he is the fortress. And so the people of God, they are made glad because their life is preserved and sustained by God. And this work of preserving, preservation of God's people, it continues today through the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 7, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John adds that, this he said about the spirit and so brothers and and sisters the spirit of god which jesus calls the living water this spirit he not only brings about new life he not only brings about faith in your life but he also protects and sustains your life he sustains your faith he he uh He doesn't just make dead sinners alive once more, but he is present with them and in their lives throughout their life on this earth. And all those who who drink from the living water offered by Jesus will never thirst. They will never lack the Spirit's guidance. You are kept safe by the power of his Spirit. And you have the assurance that nothing can ever separate you from him. So that as Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And it's in this way that we as the people of God are, are made glad. Our life rests secure in our Lord's hand. And it's in this knowledge and reality that we can rejoice. We can rejoice because we are protected by the waters of life. And one day we will experience that protection in an even fuller way as we see the the river of life flowing through the new jerusalem flowing from the throne of god and then in that city we will rest secure never again attacked never threatened we'll be truly and finally free from all of our enemies there will be no more death or mourning or tears or pain And so inside this city we see that there is life and there is gladness. There is joy brought about by the Lord. And then outside this city there's nations are raging. There's chaos and uproar directed towards the the Lord and his church similar to Psalm 2. And we've experienced some of this raging of the nations ourselves as they rage against the church and her lord the raging we experience of course it's far different than what hezekiah endured here in canada at least we don't see armies with with swords and bows and siege engines surrounding us and yet we are surrounded by armies of spiritual enemies Satan continues to look to devour the church, to create division within the church, to bring about her, her death and her downfall. And sometimes we can feel like Jerusalem must have felt like when it was under siege. We can feel like the odds are completely stacked against the church and as if we can never prevail against the world But God defended Jerusalem in ancient times. He defended his church back then. And he continues to defend his church in different ways today. And so he speaks. And the kingdoms are are tottering. The nations are raging. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. So just as the mountains are pictured as, as falling into the sea, now the psalmist speaks of kingdoms collapsing, falling apart. And this has been true throughout history. Nations, they rise and they fall. They're there, and one day and the next day, they're conquered by someone else. Apparently, the, the average civilization lasts around 300 years. We've probably all heard questions about how much longer our own Western civilization will endure before it collapses. But through the rise and through the fall of all these nations, one thing has remained constant. And that is that God has always preserved his church. He has always preserved the life of his people. And all he has to do is speak and the earth or the world melts. nations collapse. I mentioned earlier that one of Martin Luther's hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is based on this psalm, and many people have called it the the battle hymn of the Reformation. It's interesting to, to note, though, that the earliest records we have of this hymn didn't label it a a battle hymn, but they labeled it a hymn of comfort. Luther wrote this hymn to be a song of of comfort for God's people, a comfort for the the struggling and fragile church that he was a part of. He wrote that hymn, most likely in 1527, during a time when the fragile church was not only under constant threat from the papacy, but they are also dealing with outbreaks of plague. And yet in the midst of all that, Christ, he continued to gather, defend, and preserve his church. And even as the nations around us turn away from God and even against God, as they oppress God's church, they will never be able to snuff out the life of God's church or his people because the life of God's people is secure in Jesus Christ. And so as the psalmist says, his church shall not be moved because God dwells within her and he will not be moved. And as believers in Jesus Christ, God dwells within you as well. And by faith you are brought into and made into a, a fortress, a fortress in which you find eternal life. And so we place our trust and our faith in him knowing that we will also not be moved or shaken. And that brings us to how we also have peace within the fortress of God. The concluding stanza of of this psalm, verses 8 to 11, it's all about how the Lord of hosts establishes his peace on earth. This isn't a a peace that's brought about by negotiations or treaties or some some UN summit. It's a peace that's established by judgment and destruction. In verse 8, he says, "Come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth." Or we could say that he he laid waste the earth. And though these These works and desolations of the Lord, it refers to those astonishing acts of of God where he acts on behalf of his people. You can think of the the Red Sea crossing when God led his people through and then drowned Pharaoh's army. Or the destruction of of Jericho where those city walls collapsed. Those are desolations that the Lord did to, to save his people on behalf of his people. What a contrast to to the way that our own nations display their military power. In, In dictatorships, it's common to see elaborate military parades. In the West, it's common to hear of NATO exercises and war games, and they're all displays of a nation's strength, of a nation's might. But God, he has a much more powerful army. Twice in this psalm, he's referred to as the Lord of hosts, the God of of angel armies. He has all the resources at his fingertips. He has all the power in the world. He speaks and the earth melts. Moreover, God is, is righteous. Nations might wage war for unjust reasons, but God only acts on behalf of his people for just reasons. He acts to, to judge sin at times, or as in this psalm, he acts on behalf of his people, defending them, ensuring that they have peace. And these, these desolations, they, they show just how far God is willing to go to protect his chosen people, and how he, he punishes those who would wage war against him and against his church. As John Knox famously once said, one plus God is a majority because nothing can overpower God. Nothing can overwhelm him. Nothing can break the peace that he promises to his children. God works desolations on behalf of his people. And of all the desolations that God has worked, none is greater than what we see in the cross. Because it was there that God poured out all his righteous anger against sin. And he went to the greatest lengths possible to to give his people peace. True and lasting eternal peace. Because there Jesus became desolate so that we could be protected from the wrath of God. And through his suffering and and death, the way has now been opened up for all people to, to turn to Christ and live. Through his suffering and death, the way has been opened up for those who were once enemies of God to be made at peace with God and to become children of God. And this is the only way to escape the eternal desolation of hell. It's to believe in Jesus who endured hell on that cross. And the only way to have peace is to place your faith in him. And so see the the works of the Lord, the desolations that he has wrought, especially at the cross. He's the one who brought us salvation from a threat that is greater than any nation has ever posed. He's the one who has given us this true and lasting peace. And with this knowledge, we we then look at verse 10. And there we're told, Be still and know that I am God. We've seen the, the power of God in this psalm. now we are given two commands: to, to, to be still and to know. To be still. In other words, stop the endless worrying. There's no need for worry. It's easier said than done. I know. But it's helpful to just just pause to just be still and reflect on all that God has done. He saved in the past. He worked all things for your good in the past, even when you couldn't imagine any good would come out of a situation. And he will continue to do that. He is God. And then we are commanded to to know God. God to trust that that God will either spare us from the trouble we face or he will use that trouble for our benefit. And we can do that because we know that that's what he has always done for his people. We're commanded to to know that he is God. He is still on his his heavenly throne. He is still reigning and ruling over all things. He's the one who causes the sun to rise every morning. Nothing will take him by surprise. And someone once said, "There's no panic in heaven, only plans." There was a time in, in Martin Luther's life when he was so driven to, to worry and despair that his wife decided she was going to dress herself up all in black. And Luther went downstairs. One morning, and he sees his wife sitting there, and he asks her, Who passed away? And her reply was, From the way you're acting, I assumed it was God. See, Luther needed to be reminded, and, and all of us need to be reminded from time to time, that God reigns, that he's still on his throne, that we can trust God's providence That we can believe that He will work all things for our good. Even if we don't see what God's full plan is, we can be still and we can know that He is God. He is our mighty fortress. And He has revealed that nothing can can overpower or take away the peace that, that He offers. And then finally, God reveals in the closing verses of this psalm that he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in all the earth. And everything in all of history is proof of that. One day, all nations and and all peoples will bow before him. They will be forced to, to acknowledge that he is God, that he reigns. And some will bow the knee, defeated in victory, and face God's justice. And others will bow in humble admiration and enter into Christ's rest, Christ's peace. As he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the only question that remains, brothers and sisters, is which group you will be in. well today we sit here on the west coast on the pacific rim of fire we keep hearing warnings about potential earthquakes the big ones coming we deal with an unknown hidden threat but as god's people we also face the fiery enemy of the church we face satan himself that ancient enemy We face the devil, the world, and our own flesh. We face those enemies just as Judah did, just as the men of this this psalm did. Yet we know that whether we face persecution or distress, we rest secure in God's hands. He is our mighty fortress. And so let this also be our confession. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing. Amen.